And I'm Elise. And you're listening to Kraken One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Ooh, I like that. Switching it up. What's going on, Becky? <laughs> Not too much, baby. Cool. So, this week, uh, we are bringing you a beer from Mike's Adventure to Boston last week. If you remember, he mentioned briefly in the last episode that he and his buddy Dave were headed up to PAX East for their podcast about video games, Two Player Bros. Two Player Bros. <laughs> Available wherever podcasts can be found. Plug, also plug. on twoplayerbros.com. Ah. So while he was out there, he picked up a local brew for us to try from Bentwater Brewing Company, which is located in Lynn, Massachusetts. And from what I found, their distribution right now is pretty much limited to Massachusetts and New Hampshire only. So this is something that we might not have uh, been able to try otherwise, at least not for a while. So thanks for picking this up. No problem. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to really expand our palates and expand the reach of Kraken when open. <laughs> Sponsor us. So Bentwater is a self-canning, self-distributing brewery with 14 rotating taps, and they brew their beer on a 30-barrel system as well as a three-and-a-half-barrel pilot system. What's really cool is that in addition to using standard steel fermenters, according to their website, is that they are the first brewery east of the Mississippi River to use concrete vintner tanks, which are typically used for wine fermentation in Sonoma. That's wine country! (laughs) And what also makes their brewery unique is the location. Uh, Lynn, Massachusetts has a rich industrial history and apparently a superior water source. Bentwater says, quote, every beer begins with water and with careful, creative manipulation, we bend water into unique, flavorful brews. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Now, do you have more information on what these cement fermenters are like? No, I do not. They did not go into detail. Boo. (laughs) Yeah, we're all interested in what a cement ferment there is. Vintner. Vintner. Even um, weirder. Mm. Right? So, anyway, <laughs> this particular beer from Bentwater is an IPA, and it's one of their flagship or year-round beers. It's called Thunderfunk, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, but there are some names that are just so good and so oddly like descriptive that you kind of already know what to expect, even though neither of us have had this one yet. Like before I even started doing a little background on this beer, I had a pretty strong idea in my mind of what this beer is going to taste like. So I'll be very keen to see what it actually measures up to when we when we do crack this open. I hope you like it. I drove all the way to Massachusetts for it. Uh, Not just for this beer. (laughs) Let's be real. Uh, So, yeah, like I said, Thunderfunk is an IPA. It comes in at 7.2 ABV and has an IBU rating of 83, both of which are pretty high for just a regular IPA. Interesting. Um, There is, however, a double IPA version of this, double Thunderfunk. And I'll have to show you the the can artwork later because it's fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) But this, the regular Thunderfunk, was brewed with four hop varieties and three different malts. And in the glass, we can expect to see a hazy kind of orange boy with a nice thick head. The brewers describe it like this. Its nose offers mango, citrus, pine, and a touch of honey. Juicy hops supported by a soft malt backbone deliver mango, passion fruit, slight biscuit, and a lingering citrus bitterness. So it gets a pretty good rating on Beer Advocate, which is pretty usually pretty reliable, um, depending on obviously how many 
people have contributed their reviews of it. And this one gets an 84. Um, and a lot of the reviews had some interesting additional flavors that these contributors picked up, including grapefruit, which makes sense. That usually seems to go along with the mango and, and the passion fruit. Mm-hmm. I think that's because maybe a lot of people don't really know what passion fruit and grapefruit taste like. Or passion yeah, fruit that's and also mango possible. Like. <laughs> um, a few people said toasted coconut. And everyone definitely emphasizes the piney and earthy flavors as well. That's hand in hand with an IPA. Yeah. I'm interested in the biscuit flavor. I have tasted like biscuit type flavors in Hazy Boys before. Yeah. So we'll see if I see it again. Yeah. I also noticed that the reviews seem to improve on this one over time. Like I said, this is one of their flagship beers, but the brewery opened in 2016. So maybe they've been working on kind of honing and perfecting this recipe over time. Well, that happens with a lot of breweries. I mean, look at um, Road Jam from Two Roads every year. It's a little Uh, different. That's also true. Um, But I feel like that's on purpose. It's true. Yes. And then there's um, a brewery that we've covered a bunch of times, Tribus Brewery. Mm -hmm. I feel like they've gotten consistently better as they've gone along. Oh, absolutely. Although at like an incredible pace. Yeah. Because they're only what, two? Yep. So they've improved immensely every time we go back. Yeah. Just incredible how quickly they're going. Yeah, I agree. But that's the thing. It's like you're good at brewing, but then, you know, how good are you until you get your own facility? facility? And then you really like, that's when you can really pick up the pace. And I feel like maybe your beer knowledge or your beer pertice, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> kind of like increases. It. Hashtag beers pertice. So uh, can we crack one open now? Because I'm really excited to see what this is going to be like. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Crack it, baby. Ooh. Oh, that is full. My turn. Gotta make some noise. Noise. It is indeed pretty orange. I was going to say this is very orange. However, there is one thing this is not at all. Hazy. This is not a hazy boy. No. I think you thought it was a hazy boy based on descriptions. Yeah. Well, that's what other people said. Other people said this is hazy? Mm-hmm. Other people need to get their eyes checked. Yeah. Maybe double get, thunder Or have funk. more beer. <laughs> Or of less beer. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> but it is very orange. Ooh. It's not as carbonated as maybe I thought it might be. Being no. as clear as it is. It's still carbonated. I thought I'd get a better head on it. Ooh, it smells Mine's, really good. It does smell really good. I'm getting getting some of that biscuit on the nose, actually. This is actually pretty much dead on, like, how I kind of thought it was going to be. And I don't hate it. This is good. The smell is very biscuity. With a little bit of this, a little bit of the sweetness of the IPA coming through. Mm-hmm. I get some pine too. Yeah, the, the pine nose. that you get from IPAs. I mean, it definitely smells like you're uh, an IPA, mm-hmm. but I get a lot of that biscuitiness, which is almost reminiscent of, uh, like I said, some hazy boys have it, but like more like a stout or an ale would have a biscuit, a more biscuit kind of flavor yeah. to it. But I really get that on the head. This doesn't taste like a 7.2 ABV. <laughs> this doesn't taste like a normal IPA. That's very interesting and very refreshing. Very. For a 7.2 IB- ABV? Yeah. I can. I can drink a lot of these. Yeah. I'm going to be honest. I can't get over the smell of this beer. This beer might be one of my favorite beers to smell that I've ever like put my nose in and smelled. It's very interesting. I like I. I don't usually like that. Like smelling stouts like bake sale, like smelling that was nice. But this is like an IPA and I'm just like, oh, I wouldn't mind a candle of the way this tastes. Mm. I know that sounds weird. I'm going for taste too. Hold on. This is it, not grapefruity at all. People don't know what mangoes taste like because yes. this does not taste like a grapefruit. No. What were you going to say? I was going to say upon a, a second sip, I'm getting more of the, that malty backbone as I think well. that's where maybe that biscuit comes from. Yeah. I think that maybe is why this doesn't taste like a normal IPA is because the it's got that malt 
backbone mm-hmm. that you just said. Could be. <laughs> I'm just taking your word. And I'm taking their words. Exactly. Because How the else bitterness, are we supposed to learn? The bitterness isn't really like there. I mean, it's present, but it's not bitter forward like most IPAs are. And yeah. that's not that's not a a knock against a other knock IPAs. Against I, other IPAs or this beer. For some IPAs, the bitterness is endearing. I love bitter stuff. Anybody yeah. who knows me knows I'm not big on sweets. Mm-hmm. I like things that are bitter, sour, or spicy. <laughs> yeah. I'm a <laughs> psychopath, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but I like that the bitterness takes a backseat in this IPA. Mm-hmm. Because it, it, it is so, this is not what I was expecting at all. Really? First of all, I had no idea really what to expect. Mm-hmm. I got this for a couple of reasons. So I got the mesmerizing can. I went to... When we were in Boston, we were near Northeastern University. We stayed at the Midtown Hotel. Mm -hmm. The liquor store closest to us, or what I assume would be the liquor store closest to us, I was actually looking for uh, Trillium Brewery. Oh, okay. Because we've had Trillium before. We've really liked it. So I was going to surprise you with some cans of Trillium from Trillium uh, and be like, hey, look, I got you this. And thinking we could do an episode on Trillium because we already knew we liked it. Yeah. I quickly realized the liquor store did not have Trillium. So I went and looked for a Massachusetts-based brewery that we didn't have here. And of course, yeah. Look at that can. That can is attention grabbing. Yeah, it is. There's nothing to do with thunder or lightning, but damn. <laughs> I grabbed it not knowing what to expect other than, you know, the name and mm-hmm. it was an IPA. But as you were describing it, I started to get this flavor profile in my head of this hazy IPA that one of those hazy IPAs where the foam on the top really has its own flavor. And I thought mm-hmm. that would be the biscuit. And then the bottom would all be that grapefruit, piney pineapple. Like it's just yeah, the hazy IPA, which I like. But I did not expect it to be a very unique take on an IPA. This, yeah. And I like that it's bent water and they say that they play with water because this is super refreshing. Yeah. So I'm glad that a company called Bentwater has such a refreshing beer, as, at least as the first one I tried. Yeah. Well, this, also, yeah, this is one of their flagship ones. This is so much clearer than it tastes. That's also true. Yeah, it is surprisingly clear. If you blindfolded me and, ta- and had me taste this, I wouldn't say it was a hazy IPA. No. That, that mouthfeel would never come into mind. But like if I like close my eyes right now, I would tell you this would be darker. Yeah, it's a very deceptive color. That's for sure. Yeah. I love that it's mango forward. I don't really. Do you really get the pine? Yes. On the taste? Mm-hmm. It's definitely more so in the on the nose when you smell it. But I definitely I, I do get the pine, the earthiness of it. I can get some of the earthiness. I don't know if that's the pine. If it's pine, though, that's only on the very like the on the back end, like after I've after I've swallowed. So the can, as we said, is very interesting. It's just a hypnotic blue and red it pattern. It's like hypnotoad. Uh, you'll you'll see. I mean, if you're listening to this episode, you've probably seen the uh, post, promotional pictures. the promotional pictures that we've we've done in the future mm-hmm. on this because we haven't taken them yet. Yeah, but yeah, it's very hypnotic. It's it's what kind of drew me to the can, and then obviously, in the, not obviously, but in the center. The Bentwater logo is there in the center and it's just your attention is drawn to it because it's almost like the hypnotic pattern makes a tunnel toward the uh, symbol. Yeah, obviously it draws your eyes inwards toward the, the center. Yeah, which is just a black and white logo. It says Bentwater. It's a kind of a computer straight hexagon image of a hop plant. Yeah, I like that a lot. And then three lightning bolts coming out of either side. I don't think that has anything to do with the fact that it's Thunderbolt. I'm I don't think sure so. I think their that's logo. their standard logo. Yeah. And uh, underneath it on a border on the bottom of the can is all the info. So there's nothing really blocking the cover art, as you will, mm-hmm. which I think is a really clever uh, idea. You let the can speak for itself there on the mm-hmm. top. It's very minimalist, which I think is really cool. Yeah. 
But again, uh, like we were talking about uh, last week with Party Guy, you can tell that they are self-distributing and self-canning because there's there are imperfections in the way that the uh, the stickers are put oh, on. Oh yeah, the way the glue holds and stuff. What's also interesting is, have we done a twelve ounce can before on the show? Yeah, all the um, the Christmas ones were twelve. Oh, that's right. There were some. Well, 12 ounce, but some of them were 12 ounce. Some bottles. of them were bottles. Yeah, there were. OK, there were a couple of cans. I was going to say it's very rare that we get a 12 ounce can on the show. Though. It's true. It's it's definitely They're like pint. 16 ounce. Yeah, or, 16 or ounce or, no. uh, <laughs> yeah, bottles. Well, I can see this one being 12 ounce because of the high ABV. Mm. Plus, you get six out of them instead eh, of the four. That doesn't stop a lot of breweries with higher ABV, though. Let me ask you this in terms of packaging and marketing and what you'd want to buy. Would you prefer to buy a four pack of tall boys? of pint cans or would you prefer to buy a six pack of these 12 ounce um i'm going to not do the math in my head but i'm gonna say whichever gets me more beer for less money see i don't think it's about math i think it's about how many beers you want i think i'd rather have six of the 12s to be honest that's true i mean yeah i'll miss out on that extra four ounces but i got a whole other two cans ready to go for other days yeah, that's true. Like when we get when we get a four pack of Tall Boys, we usually finish it because we each have two. Exactly, and I think at least people like us. I mean, I don't know about the other listeners out there if they drink beer and they like stick with one type, but you and I like a variety, and we like to switch it up throughout. Yeah. You know, whenever if whenever we're drinking, we switch up our beer. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're at a restaurant or at home or whatever, if we have different varieties, we like to you know switch up our taste buds. Yeah. So I think the I like the six. Yeah, personally. I, th- I think it also depends on the beer. True. I mean, that, yeah, that being said, like the sours and stuff like that, I'm going to keep, I'm going to want to drink them. Yeah. But uh, like the high ABV ones like this, I think I prefer six because you shouldn't be drinking that much anyway. True. <laughs> mess you up. <laughs> but either way, the border on the can uh, has, says, with a clean hoppy start and a tropical fruit finish, our flagship IPA is packed with notes of mango, citrus, and honey. Thunderous yet funkadelic. Honey. Honey is what makes this different. Yeah. Honey might be what gives it the biscuitiness too. Oh, definitely. I could see that. It, I think it might be the honey that calms that bitter. I don't know how funky it is though. Go Thunder Funk. I don't know if this has what you would consider funk or what I consider funk. I feel like my standard for funk <laughs> is set by Lizard's Breath. And I feel like this is a toned down version of lizard's breath which is what i was expecting i was not expecting lizard's breath but i do understand where i'm coming from understand where you're talking. i do <laughs> taste on the back end mm-hmm. it's very similar to the end of a sip of lizard's breath which yep. as we've described before it was our very first episode mm-hmm. our most popular episode go back and check it hey. out <laughs> uh, and personally i think my, one of my favorite ipas if oh not yeah my favorite ipa I remember the first time we had it. So do I. Because it was so good. <laughs> it was so good. Um, but that's is, not saying that that's, so good. that's not saying that this isn't good. I mean, that's great that we're comparing it to that. Yeah. But I don't know if I consider that funk either. Well, I don't consider... Are, are you equating funk with dank? Yes and no. If it's dank, it can be funky. But like, let's say like Two Roads put out an urban funk. That mm-hmm. had some funk to it. Some yeah. of their other area, Two Beers, have some funk to it. Mm-hmm. Some of the lambics. So, are you a, talking about maybe the wild yeast? I think that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking. Yes, it's got to be because a lot. Some of the hazy boys are, yeah. are a little funky. Yeah. A lot of the ones that really give you that swirl of like that that sediment that ends up really funking up. Mm-hmm. I think if it's got more sediment, then you really taste that sediment. Yeah. That's a funk. I think that's what I equate funk to. Okay. But I might be wrong. 
that might not be what master brewers really consider funk. Mm-hmm. But when I hear that term and then when I see the beer or taste what I taste, I think that's what I'm getting funk to be. I could be wrong. No, that's fair. But I feel right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the most important thing. <laughs> but anyway, the other side of the can, as we're still going through this longest can description in history, also very small, says 7.3 alcohol by volume. Like, hey. <laughs> Shh, don't tell anyone what I'm strong. Yeah. <laughs> and then it also says brewed and stewed by Bentwater Brewing Company, Lynn, Massachusetts. I, like I really that. like that a lot. Brewed yeah. and stewed. This is really good. This is really good. I'm really glad I picked this up. Me too. As much as I do love, I love Trillium and I really would like to do an episode on them. Mm-hmm. I would never have gotten Bentwater if Trillium was available in the liquor store. Yep. This is really, really good. It is. I'm impressed. I'm very impressed. It's and I'm very sad unique. that we won't be able to get it again. <laughs> Me too. And it, they're only four years old. Yeah. Very impressive. Very impressive. I um, I really wonder what Double Thunder Funk tastes like. Oh, I have to show you the art. Oh, yeah. Show, you got to show me the art. We got to describe it to our audience who's listening because this is an audio, audio uh, medium. <laughs> it's tough. To, like, I really want to try the double IPA because I can't see this as a double because of how well, drinkable it is. So consider this. The this is an IPA at 7.2. Take a guess what the double IPA ABV is. I don't know when you have to consider yourself a double IPA or if the double IPA, you know what? Let me ask you this, researcher girl. Mm-hmm. I'm the student, you're the teacher here for some reason in this <laughs> podcast, just how it shook out. Uh is, is there that, an AB? I'm the researcher and you're the color commentary. <laughs> is there a <laughs> have we talked about is there a percent where something is like you have to be a double IPA? I really or can you just be a strong IPA? I don't think that it has it as doesn't have to much do with to do with the ABV as it does with the the hopping process. It just yeah, it just turns out that way, right? Yeah. So it just happens to be an IPA at seven point two. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure we've had double IPAs at six point somethings. So. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, if this is seven point two, and they're trying to keep the same thing, I'm gonna say I don't want to say over ten. I'm gonna say nine point six. Ooh, so close. Nine point eight. Nope. I don't want to keep going because that's annoying for the guests. 9.2. Oh, okay. You would have lost by prices, right? Standards, though. I would have. But check out this art. Oh, my God. It's monkeys. It's two giant gorillas (laughs) fighting red and blue, like ape out style. But it's still also got the blue and red hypnotic thing. But now it's straight lines. And it's got a hypno thing coming from the bent water. I love that can. I love that can a lot. Yep. Oh, I knew you would. Dear Bentwater, if you are listening to this podcast, and I hope you are because we love this beer. This is great. This is fantastic. And we are very surprised and very it's pleasantly, a happy, surprised. pleasantly surprised that we picked your beer up. Send us some double. For some something double. that we've if you never send us heard double of thunder before funk, as Connecticut folk. Yeah. Send send us some double thunder funk to Connecticut. <laughs> you can see our email, open at gmail.com, and we will do a second episode on double thunder oh, funk. Oh, for sure. For oh, sure. Oh, we could do a comparison. There's not going to be any more regular Thunder <laughs> Funk left after, by the time they get the Double That's Thunder. That's we don't need a comparison. <laughs> I'll remember what this tastes like. Uh, you got to get yourself sent to Connecticut right away. This is mm. fantastic. I I would absolutely recommend anybody who sees the Bentwater logo. Yeah. Or if they, they start selling it in kegs in different restaurants or wherever. That's usually how it starts in other markets, I yeah. think. Try like it out. Pick this, it up. If this was available to us, I feel like this would be like a staple in the fridge. Just like a drinkable beer. Anytime of like the week or with whatever meal, this would go with everything. Absolutely. This would be like Lizard's Breath or Sip of Sunshine yep. or, or Little Heaven or any of yeah. those other IPAs that are super drinkable. This would be one that we would pick up and get. 
So bring it on down to Connecticut. To you, Connecticut town. You already can bring it on down. New Hampshire, come on. Come on. <laughs> All right. That's enough gushing over this beer. <laughs> but I'm going to still drink it. <laughs> so shall we move on to some news and reviews? News and reviews? Yes, absolutely. Our pop culture segment this week is brought to you by... Oh, wait. No one has sponsored us yet. <laughs> but if you did... Hint, hint. I would say your name for just a small right amount of money or free beer. A pittance, really. <laughs> just enough to buy beer, unless you gave us beer. Yeah. And that would be it. Who do you, who wants to go first, you or me? I'll go. You were just talking a lot. <laughs> I always talk a lot. <laughs> you do. <laughs> that defines us right there. You might uh, be the teacher, but you got a lot to learn <laughs> about talking a lot. That ain't me, yo. <laughs> So this is a little bit different this week. I know we don't usually talk about documentaries or like reality TV, but I got sucked into this short docu-series on Netflix while you were away last weekend. Docu-series. It's, it's reality TV. Mm, ah, I, I don't <laughs> like that. I don't like. I know you don't like that you like that you like it, but like you like it. <sighs> so like it. Own it. So it's called Restaurants on the Edge. Think a bougie but also relaxing and kind of uplifting version of bar rescue or kitchen nightmares um this is a definitely a show for fans of food network meets hgtv meets travel channel i like all those things right so there's a team of three people you've got a chef a designer and a like marketing slash branding person and they've handpicked these failing restaurants that all have serious potential, but they're lacking in execution. And of course, every restaurant is tucked away in this beautiful location like Costa Rica or St. Lucia or Austria, somewhere with a really rich culture. Um, the owners are really charming, albeit pretty clueless, but <laughs> it makes for good television. So they focus on one restaurant per episode and you get to meet the owners, uh, see their menu and get the general vibes of the restaurant as it is. And then the team comes in. And here's what sets the show apart for me, because originally I just threw this on while you were gone as like a background show that I could get a few things done around the apartment, maybe fold some laundry, do some research for the podcast. But it sucked me in and I plopped down on the couch and just watched it for a while. <laughs> so the the chef, Dennis, goes around to all the local food markets and farmers to source fresh local ingredients. And there always seems to be conveniently some kind of like cultural celebration or festival going on while they're there that he attends where he learns more about the local fare so he can add more specialty menu items um, or something more personalized and unique to that restaurant because it seems like the problem with a bunch of these restaurants is that they're trying to do too many different dishes or they're, they don't really have a sense of identity of what their, their theme is. They're trying to do like a fusion or whatever. There's only one restaurant that can have a menu more than two pages and that's cheesecake factory. <laughs> no one else, no one else should have a notebook for a menu, but cheesecake factory. I'll allow it. True. <laughs> So he he helps them kind of hone in on a, a tighter, more perfected menu. And then the marketing person, Nick, helps them with their their signage or developing a new logo. Um, or in one episode, the owners didn't have any presence on social media. Like they legitimately didn't realize that it was important. Nice. Um, so Nick found a local photographer 
in that area who I think specialized in food photography to teach them how to create like visually interesting photos to post and draw in new customers. And you also learned some of this too, right? For this podcast? I did actually. I was, oh, I was really? taking nice. mental notes. Yeah. All right. Um, and then the designer, Karen, I think her role is my favorite part in the show um, because unlike Bar Rescue, where they just go in and gut the restaurant and start from scratch and they're on this timer where they're like, we have 24 hours to turn this restaurant around. No, it's not like that. <laughs> on this show, they actually they take a little time to get to know the owners, um, the history of the location itself. And then she goes out and she's able to find these local artists and decorators to just improve and kind of upcycle what is already there and part of the restaurant. So like maybe they paint or bring in some new furniture, um, but it's mixed in with the old stuff. So at the end, it's not really a new restaurant. It's just an upgraded version. I like that because a lot of the times in like, sometimes a kitchen nightmare, always in bar rescue. Yeah. They destroy the bar. Yeah. It's no longer the owner's bar. It's the network's bar. Exactly. And you lose a little bit of that. And I can understand Kitchen Nightmares and Bar Rescue doing that because it's mm. America. Yeah. Or it's England and Kitchen Nightmares And they Nightmares want the case. drama. Well, no, I mean, England and America. It's like, you, like obviously, Gordon Ramsay knows England as well. Yeah. And obviously, Bar Rescue and stuff like that. They know this country. So they mm-hmm. just, yeah, let's redo it. And this is a bar in America. Yeah. But you go, you travel abroad. You don't know that culture. You don't know what they like. Mm-hmm. Just kind of figure it out and updo it. Yeah. But I also like that they take more than 24 hours because that's kind of gimmicky. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, this is like more we do want your bar to succeed yeah my question to you Mm -hmm. and maybe you'll get there do these people get a percentage of the bar profits the restaurant profits i have no idea because mm, not sure about gordon ramsay but he probably does i know in bar rescue the guy whose name i can't remember for some reason right now Mm -hmm. he does become part owner or get a percentage of the profits and stuff i yeah i really don't know because to i mean like i said they're not they're not changing the core of the restaurant like no, it seems like they're changing dramatic, the menu pretty dramatically. Hardcore. Yeah. But so they're I, they're I feel like they're really not spending a, as much money as a show like Bar Rescue or or Kitchen Nightmares. Right, costs enough to keep the staff all around the country all around the world and stuff. Yeah, that's true. But it's more of a, a time investment for mm-hmm. them. Right. So maybe it's not something where they would need to become part owner or whatever although you know who wouldn't want to own part of a bar in costa rica i don't know um so yeah restaurants on the edge just premiered on netflix on february 28th it's only six episodes long they're about an hour each for this first season but there's already buzz about a season two online so i'll be there sweet (laughs) what you got i got a little bit of news it's not a lot so I guess my first bit of news, maybe it's a little longer, is um, yeah, there's not much to go on yet. <laughs> first bit of news is there is a Beauty and the Beast prequel series that's going to start on Disney Plus oh, very soon yeah. uh, about Gaston and Le Fou. Le Fou. And it is obviously based on the 2017 live action version of the movie. So it will star Luke Evans and Josh Gad, who were some of the best parts of Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I actually quite liked the live action remake. There were a few things that weren't as good as the cartoon. Obviously, you can't be as good. No. Miss Potts. You can't you can't beat Miss Potts, the original. No. Although I like Ewan McGregor's version of Lumiere. Be our guest was not as good as the original. Oh. Because that's a classic. However, 
it was still really well done and the mm-hmm. the visuals were fantastic but dan stevens as the beast was fantastic uh obviously emma watson was really good as bell they just really played their parts really well the music was really well done the extra music was fantastic and yeah you did you did mention that as soon as you saw it the, um in the theater that the the new songs were actually like good the new songs actually i hate to say this like i love be our guest because it's fun mm-hmm. other than that i kind of like the new song better really beast has okay. a song that's really dramatic and really well done did alan menken write it i don't remember i know that uh sing song guy who's his name the guy who always sings all the dramatic music what dramatic the music guy who's is? a really good singer josh groban josh groban does the song <laughs> in the credits I think Dan Stevens sings the song in the movie, but it still might be Josh Groban singing it. I know mm. he sings it, but I don't know if it's Alan Menken or not, but it's a fantastic song. Mm. That being said, I know Alan Menken's coming back to do the songs in Beauty and the yeah, Beast, he is. the prequel, uh, Gaston or whatever they're going to call it. And I will say Luke Evans and Josh Gad have a fantastic, fantastic chemistry in the movie. <laughs> and LeFou obviously got a lot of crap because he was... A homosexual in this movie obviously mm. and they they played it up very much like he was in love with gaston oh really but that made it better it's like they didn't have to hide it and it was just so much funnier about yeah. that because how completely oblivious gaston is to that yeah and the two of them are just having the time of their lives in the movie and the gaston song is actually really well done in the movie it's similar but i think they throw an extra couple of lines in there and obviously josh gad plays it up a little different as mm-hmm. lefou but i i Really excited to see where they go with it. And I'm thinking it could be like more of a PG version of the show that you and I really liked, uh, Gallivant. Oh, yes. Which was also the music uh, and lyrics were by Alan Mm -hmm. Menken and really well written and really funny. It is streaming. It's fantastic. Watch Gallivant. Write your senators. Gallivant season three. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get a national attention on this matter. So I'm really excited for that. It might be a Disney Plus show. We're the monks. Yeah, it's just Disney Plus (laughs) does not have a lot of killer content right now. You no. get it because and I it's was like, actually just reading an article about that today, how they're struggling to like they blew up with the Mandalorian, but they don't have anything else to draw people in right now. We're keeping it because you have access to all the Disney content. Yeah. But honestly, you and I don't really go on it that often. I watch it. I, I, I've been watching Lizzie McGuire. I got I, my Simpsons. I got serious plans to, yeah. to start. I don't know if anyone this is going to be a serious throwback to the Disney Channel original shows, but my next venture is going to be so weird. No idea. Uh, it was basically X-Files for kids. You watched the Disney <laughs> Channel way after I was done with it. I watched <laughs> I Disney didn't Channel have for it until way after you were done with it. I liked Disney Channel for the Disney and Disney Channel no longer became Disney at that point. Mm. They became Nickelodeon 2. And basically, I yeah. And I didn't, actually I didn't need that accurate. in my life. I want my mouse tracks. I didn't know what I was missing when, That's when great. you had I'm it. I'm fine. I'm glad. Uh, but. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you watch for Liz McGuire. I watch it for Simpsons, but there's no killer TV show that Disney mm-hmm. Plus has. That's really making me. I mean, I will keep it for Simpsons forever. Yeah. But you got all the Disney classics, but you don't have any new shows that are really keeping me on. Like Netflix has a dearth of shows. Yeah. HBO is a dearth of shows. Mm-hmm. Hulu has a ton of shows. Yep. And now FX is producing for Hulu. Disney uh, Plus really needs to step it up in terms of original content. And I think this show is going to be one that will make you keep going. Because yep. not. I love Star Wars and the Mandalorian, and but not everybody likes Star Wars. Not everybody likes Marvel. Yeah. So when the Marvel shows keep coming up too, I, some gotta, people are just not going to care. You don't care about WandaVision I, no. or really. Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I got marveled out. Gaston though. Gaston though. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think it's a fun show that the whole family can enjoy and, and something fun, different that 
other yeah. networks don't really offer that kind of fun musical comedy. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking forward to it. But as we discussed in one of our previous episodes as well, uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I knew you were going to get with that when yeah. I said that. Yep. They don't last. They don't last. But Gaston will. And do you want to know why? Why? Disney money, yo. Mm. And it's a Disney character. Although even then, who knows? Well, they they already said it's a limited run series. Yeah, it's it's. I was surprised they got Josh Gad. Yeah. To come, like Luke Evans does a lot, but Josh Gad does. He's so in demand he's right everywhere. now. Everywhere, yeah. That I'm surprised they're able to hone him in for any kind of seasons. But you know, if it does well, they'll pay him whatever to keep people logging True. into Disney Plus. Got to keep sucking that frozen money while you can. That's right. Once HBO Max comes out, mm-hmm. Disney's gonna be. In trouble. In not in trouble. No, Disney, no, not in trouble. Disney will never but be in trouble. They, but will, they will definitely be. They'll lose viewership for sure. There will definitely be another option for viewers. Like Peacock, I don't know how well Peacock will do, but HBO Max is going to have so much available right yeah. off the get go that it's going to be a Disney Plus situation where they've already got a built in archive mm-hmm. of all of this content. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. The other bit of news I have is they've released the first images of the Batmobile in the new oh. uh, Batman movie. And it is very, very different from anybody would probably expect. Huh. So our last two Batmobiles were um, clearly tanks. Mm-hmm. They were just, they were just tanks. Yeah. And I love the Tumblr, the Dark Knight Batmobile. Yeah, that was badass. It was cool. It was badass. It made sense. I loved it. Mm-hmm. When he turns off his lights and the cops can't see him, even though he's right next to him and he drives away and he jumps off the thing. But at the same time, Batman's supposed to be building his tools sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, it's tough to steal something like a Tumblr from Wayne Industries realistically, no matter how rich you are. Yeah. Someone's going to notice that that's out of R&D. This new Batmobile looks like it's just something he's a car, a sports muscle car he's ripped apart mm-hmm. and started working on again and taking some pieces out, added an engine in, added some thrusters. It is rough. It is pointy. I'm going to show you the pictures right now so you can see him. Oh, I like it. It is like he took a 1970s muscle car and oh, really ripped it apart and yeah. made it his own. I was going to say, like, yeah, like a DeLorean almost. Yep. So he's he's pro- it's probably armored up a little bit, but it's just this. Oh, they compare it to. Yeah. A Barracuda. So, yeah. Apparently it is a from what the photos show, it is a 1970s Plymouth Barracuda that has been taken apart and an, a sick ass engine has been put in the back of it. Oh, that's awesome. So it's probably powerful. It's heavy. It's something that he can work on if it gets hurt. He's 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 probably a Batman starting up. So he's putting pieces together. There's also rumors that this Batman takes place in the 90s. I'm OK with that. So of course you're OK with that because you can't wait for the soundtrack now. <laughs> <laughs> so he's probably it's a Batman that's been adding stuff to his his repertoire, probably starting up. That's really cool. creating his new arsenal of tools to combat you know villains although it's not supposed to be an origin story it's still probably like an early days batman so i'm really excited for it you get a little bit of batman in these promo yeah you don't really not not enough to get to get detail on the costume though anything more revealing than what we have already seen yeah yeah but the batmobile itself looks really cool and something that you could drive through the street and still kind of park on like a side corner and be hidden yeah which is nice not something where like it's not obnoxious. Like, hey, yeah, where does <laughs> he park it and it doesn't get taken over yeah. or blown up or the cops just surround it like the original 1989 Batmobile obviously had the armor that went all around it. But still, like the cops aren't going to surround it and then we'll just wait for Batman and arrest him. Yeah. So I'm really excited about the Batman. Everything that they show 
looks really, really cool. And I like the fact that Matt Reeves is just kind of we're filming this. I'm going to release it first before the spy photos come in so that you know what we're going to be working with before you come in and critique it. Yeah. With cell phone footage. Here's what it looks like kind of in movie in universe. That's cool. That seems like a good approach. Right. It is a good approach. Yeah. So I think I'm ready for uh, round two. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say we wrap this up? Absolutely. So once again, this week we are drinking Thunder Funk from Bentwater Brewing in Lynn, Massachusetts. 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 You making fun of me now? Yep. Now. <laughs> That's fair. Thank you once again for tuning into this week's episode. And if you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and subscribe to catch our future episodes. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. You can also follow us on Instagram. Facebook and Twitter at Kraken One Open. And if you uh, you want to shoot us an email with questions, comments, suggestions, that is also Kraken One Open at gmail.com. Would you like to plug anything? I suppose. So I've got two other podcasts I do. I've got Forgotten Cinema, a podcast I do with my buddy Mike Field. It's a podcast about films that for whatever reason seem to have been forgotten by audiences, whether a more popular movie was released at the same time or the movie just simply didn't catch on with the audience in its initial run. We discuss what we love about the movie or maybe don't love about it, but we always recommend you guys revisit it. So that podcast is available uh, wherever podcasts can be found. We're also available on ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com. And we're all over the social medias. Feel free to check out our posts. We post every day some kind of posts about the episodes, including fun little commercials. Uh, they come out pretty much every Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've also got two player bros I do with my buddy Dave Cannon. Uh, that is a podcast by two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave while we talk about everything about video games from Nintendo's uh Xbox, PlayStation, PC, NVR. We go a deep dive into a different video game every week. I'll tell you what's up in the world of gaming. Also available at twoplayerbros.com or wherever podcasts can be found. Nice. And a special thanks for our theme, which was composed and performed by Joe Reichert. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. 